1: After its first ever trip to Notre Dame, the Bowling Green football team takes on its arch rivals this week. We'll talk about it on the latest edition of the Ziggy Cast. This is the BGSU Ziggy Cast from Learfield, your home for Falcons updates, interviews, previews, and highlights. Now, here is your host, Todd Walker. being with us, BGSU football coming off a 52-0 loss at Notre Dame will now turn its attention to ending a nine-game losing streak against the Toledo Rockets this Saturday at Doyle Perry Stadium, and it will be a noon kickoff, so we'll be on the air at 11 o'clock with our Medical Mutual pregame show here on the Falcon Sports Radio Network. Time to welcome in my broadcast partner, John Gibson, here on the Ziggy Cast to talk BGSU football. Falcons coming off the loss at Notre Dame and now looking ahead to the game with Toledo on Saturday. Gibby, let's look back to the game at Notre Dame. The Falcons fell 52 to nothing, but felt like they played better than that, at least the last three quarters. But the first quarter was a real disaster, wasn't it?
2: Without a doubt. I mean, you can't. You you can't have three and outs. You can't have missed assignments. Uh, We're not good enough to overcome our own mistakes, so we kind of have to play mistake-free football in order to have a chance, especially in an environment against a team as good as Notre Dame. After the first quarter, you know, I thought Grant Lloyd did a great job. There were mistakes that he made. There were things that he did that, you know, we would like to have back. But there were a lot of things that Grant Lloyd did that we just haven't seen from Darius Wade. So I think it's going to be, you know, paramount to see how coach splits up the reps between these two quarterbacks going forward.
1: Yeah, I guess that's sort of what's on everybody's mind. Has Grant Loy earned the right to dispatch Darius Wade as the starting quarterback, or will he continue to come out of the bullpen as it were, or do they just sort of split the reps? What what do you think is going to happen?
2: I don't know. I I really don't really get a feel. I haven't learned how to read coach yet. I haven't learned how to read coach yet, and I think that's a first season kind of thing. I'm not. You would think that there. You know, if you say, "Hey, Grant has earned the right to start," you you wouldn't be wrong. But to say, you know, Darius could play better, that that's not wrong either. I think that there's a few different things that that could be said. I just wonder. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like I, I, I personally think that Grant probably has earned the right to start with his performance last week with his performance last week. I think he earned it. But, you know, there are things that he's limited. He's limited as a passer. Who, so he's not a perfect candidate. And eventually people are going to get on to the, hey, he runs the ball better than he passes, and they're just going to dare us to, you know, they're going to dare us to throw the ball. They're going to put an eight in the box and dare us to throw the ball. You know, it, you know, they always say if you got two quarterbacks, you've got none. And that's kind of where we are right now.
1: With that said, also, Gibby, sometimes it's a different world if you start the game then if you come in even on the second series, what's to be said for a guy's psyche when he's the starter or when he's the reliever here?
2: Well, I think some guys need to have that flow of the rhythm thing. I think Grant, because his whole career he's kind of been a change of pace kind of guy, he would kind of ins- – he would excel in a role that allows him to kind of go in and out. Cause that's all he's done his whole career. Whereas Darius may be a little bit different because he's used to being the, the, the guy, the unquestioned guy. So it, I think that if, you know, if you're Grant, that's just normally what I do. It may be a little more harmful for Darius because there is a, a such thing as getting into the rhythm and knowing, Hey, I know I'm going back out here for this series, you know, and it's very easy to get out of that rhythm
1: rhythm. Well, we'll see how it plays out. But clearly, on Saturday, the Falcon offense did actually less than nothing with Darius Wade. They had negative two yards. And then when Grant Loy came in the game, they were able to sustain moving the ball really the rest of the game. Seven consecutive possessions, they gained at least one first down. And I think four of those seven, they gained at least two first downs. So. What did you see from Grant that was better, though, than what we had seen before? We, we knew he could run, and we knew that he was a tough, hard-nosed player, but clearly something has improved to allow him to function at that level. What did you see?
2: Well, I thought Grant, first of all, did an excellent job just, just managing the offense, just getting into space. A lot of times when you bring quarterbacks in like that, there's delay of game penalties, there's alignment penalties, there's snap problems of the difference in cadence grant actually went out there and looked like he had been starting the whole year and i think that was the first thing that i noticed about him i think the next thing is he's decisive if he's going to run grant runs if he's going to throw the ball he throws the ball he doesn't kind of get bogged down In the decision making process, like we've seen Darius, sometimes we've been like, hey, we wish this guy would just run and and it's taken him a while to get there. So I I think that's the biggest thing. I also think the fact that Grant does give you a the threat of running, he gives you the threat of running, I'm going to run uh, and go out there and do it. That is a big difference because a lot of times with with Darius, they don't do a lot of called quarterback runs, uh, and Darius has been hesitant, it seems, to actually scramble out of the pocket and try to get downfield where that's not a problem with Grant. So he forces you to play 11-on-11 defense as opposed to 10-on-11 because the quarterback's just standing there.
1: All right, Gibby, let's uh, talk about the defense's performance against Notre Dame. Early on, uh, they – didn't fare well at all. The Irish rolled right through them the first three times they had the ball for touchdown drives in all less than two minutes. Uh, later on, seemed like they at least got their bearings about them, but defensively it was a better performance, uh, really on the stat sheet even, than the Kent State game, not just... I guess by feel, but by actual numbers, it was better. Now, both were bad by numbers, 52 points, 62 points, you know, 500, 600 yards, whatever. But what did you see that you liked or was better with the defense?
2: Well, I I thought that, I thought that they competed. I I thought they competed well. I I thought that they responded better to Notre Dame's hurry up attack than they did to Kent State's hurry up attack. You know, we, there's no free agents that we can sign, that are going to make this team better. So, you know, I I like to see Juwan Hudson still out there competing. We know that he's overmatched. I mean, he's undersized for the position and and he's a young guy. So he's still out there competing. Um, There were some missed tackles that I would have, you know, we would like to have seen cleaned up, but the fact that they were still out there competing, I mean, the numbers are what the numbers are, what the numbers are. Um, Kent State had no problem pouring it on. They were still throwing passes in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame got got up and basically was just trying to get out of the game by the middle, th- middle of the second quarter, and they were just trying to get out of the game. Notre, so it – you know, I'm not really concerned with the numbers. What I am concerned, what I did see was, you know, there was a little more stoutness to the defensive front. They There were some times where we were able to stop them. And and we're not talking about, you know, into garbage time. We're talking about there were stops in, you know, the second and third quarter when the guy, the number one guys were still out there. So to go toe-to-toe with this Notre Dame team should, <laughs> you should offer some bit of confidence boost because, you know, those of Stoke Gore did not look great. There were some moments in there where it was like, yo, we're really in here slugging with these guys.
1: So now we look ahead to the Toledo game as the rivalry is renewed at Dwight Perry Stadium on Saturday. Don't know how much you've seen of the Rockets, Gibby, but what is your initial impression before we talk specifics?
2: Well, I I think first and foremost, um, they're just a good football team. I think that they are, you know, I've looked around and, you know, they are near, if not at the top of the Mid American Conference, both divisions, as far as a team. It's a good football team. And uh, it pains me to say that, <laughs> honestly. But it, it simply is what it is. It's a good football team. And these, you know, they've got that, the, the Bryant Kobach kid. That's a kid that I announced. He went to Springfield here, High School here in Toledo. And he's a quick, twitch, fast running back. One of those guys that's really going to make you pay if you miss a tackle. You know, he's one of those guys that will take it 70 and will have no problem. Actually, he's kind of like he's kind of like Andrew Claire. In, in a bit in, in a sense so that you know i know that and i know that quarterback he's a guy that can beat you with his feet he can beat you with his arm you've got a he's kind of like grant in a sense but you know maybe a better passer but he's a guy that you you have to make sure that you pay attention to him in the pocket because if not he can take he, he can take he can take it and hurt you with his with his throwing so i mean or with his running so that that's that's basically what i know about him. i know they've got a pretty stout defense and, um, you know, I, I know again, this is a rivalry game. So, you know, the records don't mean too much, but I do believe that they're further along in their development than we are at this point.
1: You look at the last several years, Bowling Green's been a big underdog and have arguably played better against Toledo than they have many of their other games the past three seasons, even though they've lost all of them, including a 52-36 decision last year. But the thing that strikes me about Toledo is they're – Their defense, their total defense, is 10th in the MAC and 115th in the nation. They're giving up 464 yards a game. Their scoring defense is number one in the MAC and 49th in the nation at 23.6. And the reason is uh, red zone defense. They've been very good in the red zone. Teams have been in the red zone against them 14 times. They've come away with only eight touchdowns. And when you look at Toledo defensively, there's a a bit of a disconnect there. Uh, they have 11 sacks, which isn't a huge number and they don't have a inordinate amount of turnovers either. So it appears that this T- Toledo defense is a little bit bend, don't break. And that's probably a good strategy against Bowling Green Gibby, because as coaches talked about the last couple of weeks, this team has trouble putting together scoring plays, even when they have nice drives and Notre Dame, there were several of those.
2: Right. And with Bowling Green, when you get into the red zone, everything becomes quicker and it becomes more important. You, you, the angles become more important. You've got to make sure that you're covering guys up because there's a lot less space. And so putting the ball in the end zone becomes more difficult. Plus, there's the added pressure of the defense knows that if they do something wrong, they're going to give up points. And so, you, like you said, it's the proverbial bend, but don't break. You don't get points for yards in football. You get points for touchdowns. You get points for field goals, and that's that. You know that's what Toledo's done. That's what they're doing right now. You know who care? And we saw with Coach Babers and that and that. Who cares what the defense gives up if they're not giving up points? Nobody cares. You know, and as long as you're scoring points, you're fine. And I think that's kind of the approach that Toledo's taken. I don't know that it's going to work. You know, in winning a MAC championship, that still that still is that stills still to be seen. But they're 4 and 1 at this point. So their prospect there, it has worked for them up until this point. I mean, they've beaten a BYU team, you know, they've gone out of the conference a couple of times and gotten some victories and played some tough games. Yeah,
1: and they're also pretty good on third down defensively, allowing only 32% conversions, which is a number two in the Mid American Conference. So uh, when you look at some of the advantages that Toledo might have with their offense, they, they do have some big playability with their offense and Bowling Green will need to be on point. But I think really what has to happen too is, again, coach talks about complementary football. And right now it's more important maybe than other teams. This defense needs that help that the offense could possibly give it. If they can string together drives that like they did against Notre Dame, although some of them end up in points, That's the kind of thing you're talking about, six, seven drives in a row where you are holding on to the ball at least for at least one move of the chains. That infinitely helps your defense.
2: Without a doubt. I mean, I think, like you said, complimentary football – is the perfect term for it. the D the offense has got to give the defense a chance to make adjustments. They've got to give the defense a chance to get get a break. You don't want those guys out on the field too long. And, you know, as an offense, you want to be able to string together, you know, seven, eight, 10 play drives. You know, but you want them to end in points, of course. But, you know, you want to be able to make sure that you can get out there and run your stuff and get your, get get a feel for the game yourself. Because the one thing that sucks as an offensive player is, you, you know, you go out there and you have three, four consecutive three and outs, and you never really get a feel for the game yourself. So, you know, you want to do it for yourself. You want to do it for the defense. Uh, the bowling, you know, the, if the Notre, if the Bowling Green team that showed up at Notre Dame, if that offense shows up on Saturday, I think we can be okay. But if the offense from Kent shows up or from a couple of the other games, you know, we're going to struggle.
1: And this offense, of course, has really struggled since the opening week. And I think most of the time we focus on quarterback play. But as you look at it, Gibby, what has been the, the main downfall of this offense thus far?
2: I mean, I think quarterback play is the easiest thing to point out. But I think the, the main downfall for me has been the lack of a running game. I thought we would be able to run the football coming into the season. I thought that Andrew Claire and Devon Jones and those guys would be able to find some running space. And we just haven't, it hasn't been consistent. You know, we ran for 120 yards against, against Notre Dame, which is an accomplishment considering how good that Notre Dame down four is. But you know, that's not what we've seen consistently throughout the season. You know, we haven't given up a ton of sacks, but there has been some pressures. We just had, I don't, that's the one thing that I think the actual running game and the, the offensive line play in general to me has been lackluster. Even though we haven't given up a ton of sacks, it's not like Grant has not, Grant Loy and, and Darius Wade have not been throwing under duress. And it's not like uh, there's been any, a lot of running space in between the tackles. And that's something that I thought we would be able to hang our hat on.
1: Yeah, Coach Leffler talked about the positives of the Notre Dame game. He thought the offensive line played a lot better than they had before, and maybe the week off helped them get recalibrated and maybe come together a little bit. Hopefully, that improvement continues against Toledo here.
2: Well, and that's what you're hoping for. I mean, that's what the bye, that's what a bye week is for. A bye week is 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 it's a get right time. It's that moment where you're like, okay. I can get my body right, I can get my mind right, and I can learn things without having to apply them three days later. You can learn without immediate application, so you can learn it, rep it, and then move it forward. And, and I think that that definitely could be something that bodes well for the rest of the season, the offensive line play, because you've, you've got to get Andrew Clare back. You've got to – Get, you've got to get your off, your offensive line has got to find a way to open up some holes. If we can run the ball against Toledo again, like we did against Notre Dame, that alleviates a lot of pressure off of the quarterbacks. And that, I think that's the biggest problem is, you know, we have had so much pressure on the quarterbacks. There's been so much pressure on Darius Wade that every time he misses a throw, it's, it's, it's been magnified by 10 because we can't run the ball. You know, missing a pass, on second and three is a lot different than missing the pass on third and eight. It's completely different. And so you want, you, you, you want to be able to on one of those early downs, first or second down, you want to be able to pick up five, six yards, a chunk of yards so that your, your third downs are always manageable.
1: Gibby. We talked with coach Leffler and some of the guys this week about how he's handled the rivalry aspect and they've, do a Toledo drill every day in practice where uh, basically they decide, hey, it's third and three, and this is the play to beat Toledo. You get a first down or you don't. The offense wins or the defense wins, and they've been doing this since camp. What is your thought on that take on how to handle a rivalry?
2: Well, I think in the past, in the recent past, in the recent past, there has not been very many I I don't know that Coach Jinx and his staff necessarily understood the rivalry the way that Coach Leffler and Coach Malone and Coach Hedden understand it. You know, those are three guys off the top of my head on this staff that actually understands what this rivalry looks like. And so doing a Toledo drill every day, it puts you in that frame of mind where, hey, this game is going to come down to this one play. Oftentimes with Bowling Green Toledo games, especially in the good years, that's what it does. It comes down to – we've seen how many of those, Todd, where it comes down to that one play where you're either going to make the play or you're not going to make the play. And you have to train for that stuff. And let's be real. BG Toledo, as as questionable as this season has been, we will all leave feeling – you know, we could win – if we win one more game and it's against Toledo – we will all feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. No one wants to see 10 straight to that team.
1: Well, that's exactly right. Could make Bowling Green's season, and it is their Super Bowl really in many ways, and we'll see if the team can respond and play the game of the year and pull the upset on Saturday. Gibby and I will be there with the pregame at 11 o'clock. Gibby, appreciate you checking in, man.
2: Uh, It's good talking to you, Todd. Can't wait to see what's going to happen on Saturday morning.
1: Time to talk Rockets football now on the Ziggy Cast. We welcome in Brent Balbonat. He is the voice of the Rockets. They are having another fine season, coming off a win over Western Michigan that puts Toledo clearly in the driver's seat, at least in the contender spot to win the MAC West. Again, this season, they stand at 4-1 and 1-0 in the conference after that win. Brent, thanks for being with us.
3: Anytime, buddy. Red letter day. Red letter day to get a chance to sit down and talk with the voice of the Falcons.
1: Well, it's good to have you. And uh, the Rockets, as I said, another fine season underway. And you look at the the body of their work, uh, some close wins the last couple of weeks. Actually, the last three weeks, all one touchdown victories. And I know uh, one was literally down to the last second, kind of like the Rams-Titans Super Bowl with a stop uh, right at the one-yard line. So This team's winning, but living a bit dangerously. Is that fair?
3: Uh, That's probably a good way to put it. Uh, I know that the coaching staff... Look, let's be honest, too. In each of those last two wins, they were white-knuckle rides, but they also held the opponent to under 30 points. So there was a time last year, as a matter of fact, I would say all of last year, where if you had put this same team in that position a season ago those would have been losses. As a matter of fact, we were doing a little bit of research from last year into this year and I think under 40 points the Rockets that was the that was the line of demarcation. 40 points or more and they won. 40 points or less and they lost. So so they've been winning like you said in very tight-knit white-knuckle fashion, but the defense has really stepped up this season.
1: And Sometimes, you know, a, a one-score lead, and one-score win, and the final score was really we led by 10 or 14 most of the way, and we played with the lead the whole way, so it maybe isn't as scary as the final score indicates. Has there been some of that, or have these been truly wild affairs where it was in jeopardy
3: all along? These were white-knuckle rides. I mean, make no doubt about it. Toledo trailed. At the half against BYU and needed a late game interception by Khalil Robinson and then a return down to the one. To, to help retake the lead and then salt it away, the defense stepped up easily, what, a half a dozen times in that game. Against Western, it was more of a slow bleed. That third quarter was just not rocket football. Only 20 yards, I think, and only two. I'll have to go back and double-check my uh, my drive charts, but I think only two drives in that third quarter. Western Michigan dominated time of possession and went on a 10-0 run. The fact that they had that 24-7 lead at the half was desperately needed it was not a comfortable game until they put together that one solid second half drive to go ahead and put a little bit more distance between the two of them
1: well Brent as I look at this team it does appear that their defense has some real dichotomous stats I mean they are holding (laughs) people to a decent number on the scoreboard but the yardage says they should be giving up more points and I look directly to Red zone, Uh, people are only scoring eight and 14 tries, touchdowns. So it does seem to fit what you're talking about. This defense is uh, kind of bend but don't break, kind of opportunistic, kind of just get the job done.
3: Well, and I would say you could say that about just about any team this year, even the elite teams. Look, let's be honest. It's not so much what total yards are. I don't care what you pass for. I don't care what you rush for. I don't care about all the hidden yardage. There's one stat at the end of four quarters that matters, and that's the scoreboard. So let me ask you this. I'm going to throw this at you. Mm. At one point in time, 400 total yards of offense would have been considered uh, tremendous. Right. I mean, you go back even even a decade, not that far, when we were both much younger and probably could cut up the dance floor a little bit better than we do now. Right. You know what You know what? 400 total yards of offense per game puts you as far as FBS programs are considered this week alone? No, oh, it'd probably be Seven, 75, 80. 78th. Okay. Kansas State averages 401 total yards per game. That means there are 77 teams ahead of them. Don't get caught up in that one statistic because teams can make uh, make themselves look great in between the 20s. It's what do you do once you get down there? Are you converting?
1: Yeah. And I agree with that. Today's football is very, very much about red zone and, and Toledo's defense has been up to the challenge throughout this season. We're talking with Brent Balbinat. He's the voice of the Rockets. BG and Toledo meet on Saturday and presumably uh, Mitch Guadani will play in this game and it'll be his first and presumably only matchup with Bowling <laughs> Green. He of course didn't play early in his career because he wasn't the man at that point. And then later, Had some injury problems last year, was their starter, but in the Bowling Green game, he was hurt. Later in the year, missed the last five games. So far this year, I guess they're knocking on wood and crossing their fingers and all that for Mitch, but he's been healthy. Talk about the level of play that he's bringing here in
3: 2019. Uh, More mature. You hear the phrase a lot, and sometimes I think it's cliche-ish, but in his case, it really is the truth. The game has slowed down for him. Uh, It was one of those situations where he answered every question correctly last year. But let's be honest, when you take over for the program's all-time leading passer, and at that time Logan Woodside was, I think, what, only one of 28 or 29 quarterbacks in the history of the game to throw for more than 10,000 yards. Look, Coach Candle, offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Brian Wright, they all said the same thing. We don't want you taking the field chasing ghosts. You be the best version of yourself, and everything will take care of itself. Well, that's still tough to say to a young man who's, what, 19, 20 years old and has to still fill in those shoes. Now couple that with the fact that it's your first time starting underneath center. Everything was just moving a million miles an hour. And ironically, you mentioned him getting hurt last year. The game where things really started to slow down for him was the Western Michigan game. And he gets hurt on the last offensive play of the first half, not scrambling to run but scrambling to pass to allow his receivers a a little bit extra time to develop their routes downfield and he gets hit and breaks his collarbone. So he missed roughly half the season last year. And he was asked that question about what this rivalry means and playing in it. And he had to remind the reporter that asked him, I didn't play in this game last year. I was injured. So it's going to be his first time and he's treating it seriously.
1: Oh, no question about it. You felt badly for him last year as it looked like he started to round into form and there was going to be his team. And. You know, the injury was just enough to short-circuit his season. And you look at Mitch Guadani's ability to run the football, and he is still second on the team at this point in the season, averaging about 60 yards a game rushing, and impressively still averaging over five yards per rush when the sacks count against him as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So is, But he's not a run-first guy. How do they use him in the run game, I guess is what I'm asking.
3: Well, last year he was a run-first guy. Uh, There was a phrase we used up in the booth called running home to mama. Uh, It's one of the phrases my old coaches used to use when, when you don't give those around you or the system that you're taught a chance to go ahead and progress. You go back to what's comfortable. And for him, that was just simply tucking it away and running. And he was very, very good at it. He still is. The problem with that is he exposes himself to a lot of unnecessary contact. And we saw him you know, get injured last year. We saw it again in the season opener this year down at Kentucky. Ironically, he was doing what he was coached to do, and that's get down. It just so happened that at that moment he was lowering his level, A Kentucky's linebacker happened to still be high, knocked his helmet off, and he goes into the concussion protocol. But he hasn't taken off in the same manner since the season opener that's not to say he won't run but he definitely will step up in the pocket now more to buy himself an extra second or two and he'll also feather plays out and if it's not there you'll see him throw the ball away compared to what he probably would have done in a similar situation last year and that's see can i can i take the punishment for maybe two or three yards they don't want him doing that this year and i think he's learned his lesson
1: so how much of his run game is through designed run either uh option read option or that kind of thing or is it more improvisation
3: that's a good question i've never really sat down and talked to the coaching staff about that sometimes what looks like one thing is designed another might look like design but it's a little bit of a decoy allowing an athlete to go ahead and get into space and make a play. I would say it's probably a little more than 50-50 this year simply because he's too valuable to to expose himself to that extra unnecessary contact. So I would say probably maybe 70-30, 75-25 is more um, primarily by design. And the other quarter to, to third of his game is, okay, if it's not there, we trust you to go ahead and improvise. Just make sure you're smart about it.
1: Well, Toledo running back Bryant Kobach has been the standout for them running the football. The local product of the Springfield High School has really put up some big numbers. Uh, Talk about his talent, his skill set. He's got
3: big-time home run ability, right? A very humble young man, but as we enter this weekend's game, he's uh, number one on the MAC, and I'm looking at him here number four in the nation in yards per game at nearly 126. The situation with him, much like what you talked about with Mitch Guadani, is a little bit of improvisation. You'll see him try to run in between the tackles every now and then, and if it's not there, he'll bust it outside. And if he turns the corner, if he gets to the edge, that's where he's really dangerous for two reasons. Number one, because he's shifty. But number two, he gets to that extra or high gear quicker than a lot of other running backs. So no linebacker is going to run him down from behind. That leaves him almost always in a one-on-one matchup with the safety, and they'll take those odds. It's uh, it's as much his, his football IQ, it's as much as his breaking down a play from the neck up as it is physical.
1: Of course, Toledo, to me, it's always a bit about their offensive line. How good has that group been in your estimation?
3: Well, it would have been, look, it's still a work in progress. Um, We anticipated having, you know, you got an all-conference center preseason that never plays a snap because he gets hurt in the very first practice. Bryce Harris all of a sudden is now watching from the sidelines. Having had surgery, he will be back. He's got himself that extra year. But it's not just that position that takes a hit. It's all of them. Luke Durger then has to move over from starting left guard to center. So now he's got to make the reads. He's got to get the calls down the line. He has to learn how to re-block a little bit. So all of a sudden, now you're looking at a redshirt freshman, Nick Rossi, who gets bumped up into the starting spot at left guard. Your tackles have flipped a little bit. Berg and Bell have, uh, have some experience, one being a redshirt sophomore, one being a senior. But then you've got a freshman at Tyler Long, Uh, on the right guard spot. So the interior of that line is either inexperienced or young. They have done a very good job so far, but I think the coaching staff will tell you it's still very much a work in progress.
1: Brent, before I let you go, as you have started to prepare for this game this week, what have you seen or what have you heard that would concern Toledo in this matchup with Bowling Green? Because on paper, it should be an easy win.
3: Oh, now listen to you. Don't go poor boy in it now. Um, you're reminding me of that scene in uh, We Are Marshall where he gets them together right before they, they head over to the stadium and he talks about Xavier being bigger, stronger, faster, more experienced, and on paper just better, and they know it too. Right. That is the right. that is the calling card that the coaches are using this week with this team. I don't think they need to, but, you know, you've still got to find ways to motivate. Nobody is going to waltz into Dwight Perry Basically overconfident. They understand what this game means, especially to Bowling Green. They do not want to be the team that that breaks that uh, that losing streak. Or pardon me, that winning streak going all the way back to 2009. Nobody wants to be that. Plus, they also understand that last weekend's win against Western Michigan. I don't want to say is neutralized, but it certainly is lessened. If you lose a game. And then all of a sudden, give that edge back. Granted, it's it's not still in the same division, but you don't want to run that risk. So trust me, this is still a very important game. They're treating it that way, and I expect this to be knocked down, drag out for four full quarters.
1: Brent out is the voice of the Toledo Rockets. Brent, we'll see you at the door on Saturday. Sounds good, bud. Joined now by hockey coach Ty Agner here on the Ziggy Cast, and a nice win to open the season on Sunday. Went down to beat Miami, and the Falcons win by a count of seven to four, and of course the Red Hawks now coached by former BG coach Chris Bergeron so a lot of subplots in this game and I guess the first thing coach is how do you think in hindsight your team handled all that extra hoopla of a season opener
4: all in all I think we handled it pretty well you just you never know what to expect the first game of the year everybody's excited and you know you want, it's almost a situation where you're telling kids that hey make sure we play to the line but not over the line and and getting kids excited you know you don't have to 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 reference your last weekend we don't need a newt rockney speech you know Mm -hmm. for for the first game of the year everybody's excited to play so that wasn't the issue and then obviously like you mentioned with the you know the the former falcons on the other side and and you just you just hope that that wasn't a factor in the game and and you know because there are a lot of people that are close to us that are a part of their program right now that that our, our players you know had you know great relationships with and our staff has great relationships with so it was a a unique opener for sure Uh, but all in all I thought our guys handled it well so you go down there and
1: uh, first period is just sort of uh, a first period of anybody's season in any sport maybe uh, both teams are just kind of feeling their way around figuring things out then the second Miami scores first and early in the period there uh, take me back to the team's reaction how you bounced back there
4: yeah, I would agree with, with your assessment on the first period. We really we felt like we got better as the period went on. We knew Miami would come out hard, and, and uh, I really we really liked how we handled that, and we, we felt like at the end of the first period we, we, we did a nice job. We didn't score, but we were playing the right way, and we controlled the play, and we had a bunch of chances, so we were we were good going into the second, and then they score early. It was a good crowd, and they got into it, and our guys responded. Uh, we, we got back to our game a little bit ultimately, got the lead and we felt like the first half of that period we kind of got sideways uh it was a really good learning opportunity for our bench and our staff is the first time together okay we're down on the road against a good team that's playing really hard how do you respond well you just respond by going back to work and and you know winning the next shift and doing your job and, and that's exactly what our guys did so we were a little indifferent i guess in uh in the first half of that second period but by the end of the second period when we went in with the I think it was a 3-1 lead we felt really good about where our, what our guys had accomplished up to that point in the game
1: and when you look at a, an opening game of the season Cameron Wright's already got a, a season's worth of goals four goals I mean uh, clearly not going to duplicate that very often but is is this the kind of production you, you think you can get all season from Cam Wright that that big a goal score for you all year
4: well, Cameron was, was is definitely a kid that you know offenses in his resume, and he's a kid that uh, before he got to Bowling Green took great pride in being an offensive guy and that's what we recruited him to be and uh he you know he had a really good freshman year in terms of numbers uh if Cameron plays the right way and does things right he's got the opportunity to be an offensive guy for us for sure and you know playing with Max Johnson and Brandon Cruz certainly gives you the opportunity to to be involved in in offense and typically they're spending a bunch of time in the offensive zone and and if you're spending a bunch of time in the offensive zone and you're doing things right when you get there uh, I think Cameron said he uh, he just took advantage of some opportunities so yeah we would love for Cameron to keep doing that and and keep playing the way he played on uh, Sunday coach when you look at a stat sheet some things tell more than others uh, the
1: special teams numbers we'll get into but uh, being the hockey novice that I am I always think face-offs are pretty important and I know last year we talked about how sometimes BG was on the negative or just barely breaking even on that needed to be better 43 to 29 you win that against Miami uh, about 60 percent that that's pretty good that had to be a factor
4: yeah so so to your point you know there's 72 or so faceoffs in that game on Sunday and if if, if you can control more of the the face-offs than your opponent that means you've got the puck so 60 percent of the time when there was a face-off we ended up having the puck which allows us to you know to get to our game and 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 you know play hockey the way we want to play so we were real happy with how our centers did in the in the face-off circle and that's an emphasis for us we want to we want to be at 55 percent or higher each game and that's the challenge for our guys and and it's just not the centers either it's it's all the other four guys on the ice as well everybody's got a, a job to do on the face-off so taking pride in it and then uh, when we can have results like that that allows us to to play the game we want to play.
1: And clearly, Max Johnson is your main man for that duty this year. He was in there 23 times, and he comes away a winner 16. What do you look for? What do you need to have a skill set to be a guy that can win faceoffs consistently?
4: What do you have to look for there? Yeah, if we can get that from Max every game, we'll be real happy because Max is a kid that through his freshman and sophomore year that was one of the things we we had you know asked max to get better at you know improve take take more pride in your face offs and we believe that's where it starts have you know understanding that it's you versus the guy across from you and we're going to drop this puck and it's a it's a battle so uh it's it's a rare occasion where it's it's a from a stop, it's a, it's a it's the Oklahoma drill in football, or it's one on one in basketball. It's me versus you, and we'll see who wins. So you, it, we believe it's a mindset. You've got to you know dig in and, and fight for that puck, and then the other four guys in the off in the faceoff involved in the faceoff have to be ready to go too. So uh, digging in and 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 being ready and having a plan those are the kind of skills that we talk about. Now that we've got some video, what we like to do too is we like to pre scout, and if the other team's got four. Left-handed centers or this guy likes to do this all the time. You kind of have to it's there's a little bit of an art to it You know, you've got to prepare watch some tape on the guys you're gonna be going in against each week and and then digging in and, and fighting for it
1: Well also on the special teams Let's get to those you had seven power play opportunities cashed in a couple and Miami was just one of five themselves so uh, overall power play production and Progress or process did you like all that?
4: It was nice to get seven opportunities. That means that you, you've you got the puck and they're having to defend against you and, and maybe you're getting them, you know, they're getting a little tired and they, they take a penalty and, and that kind of stuff, which is good. So it was good to it's, – it's always difficult to practice the special teams in practice because our guys know what we're supposed to try to do, so they mm-hmm. cheat a little bit on the penalty kill and it frustrates everybody and all that kind of stuff. And then when you're trying to practice the power play, some of your better – power play guys end up being penalty killers so you don't always get the best look there so uh, all in all I thought we did a nice job with that to get seven opportunities and, and we got the two goals and we had a couple other really good opportunities so now we've got again some tape to show our guys on okay this is what we're trying to do this is what we think we can do this week and I know coach Balkovic and coach Carr you know coach Balkovic's gonna you know be in charge of the power play and coach Carr the, the PK so we'll work together on that and and give our guys opportunities you know the the, the penalty kill Like I said, tough to replicate, you know, high, high high-end skill and practice all the time, but now we've got some tape so we can teach everybody where where you're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and what the plan is here and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, all in all, you know, the the special teams, I thought we did a nice job. And the thing is, Miami on their five power plays only had
1: one shot. I mean, that was the one that went in, but when you're not even giving up shots on the power play. That says a lot for your penalty kill.
4: Yeah, and as you know, our penalty kill was number two in the country last year, and it's something that since we've been here, we've taken great pride in the PK, and we're going to continue to do that. So hopefully we can continue to to limit the opportunities and be aggressive on our PK and make teams have to work really hard. So our guys did a a great job for the first time out.
1: You know, another situation that came up is one that I know you guys think about this all the time, but, again, it's hard to prepare for at the end of the game. Miami's down. They pull the goalie. And now this is it's sort of like a penalty kill but it's different because it's six on five it's a whole different spacing and dynamic and and they did get a goal against you but I know you're looking at it as a chance to to work off that and and improve and learn from it but talk about how it played out
4: yeah we uh, we brought it up in when we were watching the video this morning that uh, the, the six on five goal they got w- the coaching staff will take a little bit of responsibility mm. for that because you just again it's not something you can replicate in practice we talk about it and we have an idea and a lot of times the guys that have been out there or are out there have been out there in that situation in the past but it's just you know you have to have a plan You're, there's always going to be a guy that's unaccounted for because they do have the extra guy and, and when you get a puck on your stick in the D zone you have to make sure you make the right play with it You can't, you can't turn it back over but then again you don't want to ice it because then they'll be back down in your end and and both teams had burned their timeouts up to that point So we didn't have a timeout to kind of draw it up and go over it But uh, again, it's one of those deals where hopefully we're in that situation a bunch where we're playing with the lead and other teams Have to pull their goalie and we're gonna be great at it
1: Let's talk about your goalie Eric Dopp because clearly just on the stat sheet 19 shots, only 15 saves. I'm sure he'd like that percentage to be higher, but you know, had a power play in there and the extra man, and all that. Give me the overall view of how Eric
4: played. I thought Eric did a good job in a, in a difficult situation. You know, the guys that have been on this team for uh, a, f- a few years had a, a real emotional tie to this game with with Coach Bergeron and Coach Shuty being down there and and Jimmy Spratt down there and 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 all that kind of stuff. So I thought Eric handled it. He was excited about this opportunity he gets a chance after two years of of kind of sharing the net and playing behind ryan bednard he gets a chance to be the guy so he did he did a good job uh like i think you and i talked about before there's probably one goal i i heard uh, eric was talking when we were watching video there's one goal he wishes he could have back but uh, all in all, I thought a good start for Eric in his first first uh, start of the year, and and we need to get better. We're gonna, you know, we were number one in the country in goals against last year, and that's a that's not just a goalie stat. That's a that's a team stat, and we expect our team to to be better defensively than than giving up four goals. But again, you got to tip your hat to Miami. They had some opportunities to execute, and they did, and and Eric did make a couple of good saves. You know, he did save a breakaway when I think it was four. Two and which was a, a big save at that time. So some of that stuff is is timely too. You know when you get a timely save that, you know the game could have turned a little bit if they if they score on that breakaway. So.
1: Also, when you look at how your team played and as you evaluated everything, was there somebody that jumped out at you that maybe you're like, oh, that was a little more than I thought we were going to get? Any pleasant surprises, I guess, from game one uh, on your roster?
4: I think you'd have to start up front. You know we, uh, the, the guys that played on our. I mean, we don't like to call it our fourth line, but let's just call it our least experienced line. We had uh, Adam Pitters, freshman centered uh, freshman-centered, uh, sophomores, Trevor St. Jean and, and Evan Doherty, and they scored a goal, which was nice for them. And in the first period, they played a fairly regular shift, and that was good. In the second period, we got it into some special teams plays, so they didn't get as much ice, but they con- they were able to contribute, and, and uh, we, we appreciated their efforts, and they did a nice job. And then on the back end, TJ Lloyd was one of our seven defensemen dressed and uh, early in the game he didn't get a a bunch of regular shift time but then unfortunately you know he had the incident where Jake Dalton got kind of run into the end board and landed awkwardly on his leg and was hurt so TJ you know got elevated and he was playing some pretty significant minutes there with Alec Rauhauser and and we thought uh, the more TJ played the better he did so he, he was another kid that had an opportunity and he took advantage of it and looked like he belongs in college hockey and so those are a couple instances where I can think of a young guys kind of stepping up and saying, hey, yeah, those guys did a nice job.
1: Well, now this weekend it's big for a little bit of a different reason. The Icebreaker event, Bowling Green's hosting it at the Huntington Center in Toledo. It, you know, it's a sort of has the eyes of the nation on it in some ways. Ohio State will be there, Western Michigan. You're playing RIT first. But talk about hosting this event, uh, kind of a prestigious thing, right?
4: Yeah, it's, it's uh, an opportunity that doesn't come around very often. And uh, when the opportunity presented itself a few years ago, Uh, coach Bergeron and and, and Jim Elsasser and the administration decided that we would want to put together a bid Mm -hmm. to host it with the the city of Toledo and the Huntington Center and as you know they do a great job up there and so we're fortunate to to, uh, be selected to to host the tournament now I think it's going to be great like you said there's you know three of the top 15 teams in the country are in the tournament and and RIT is always a real good team and they're coached by Wayne Wilson who's a captain of the 84 national championship team and and, Brian Hills who's another uh, Hall of Fame member of uh, Bowling Green's hockey community so uh, a, a really good event for us and a uh, great weekend for for all involved in BG Athletics with the, the BG Toledo football game and then you can come back to Toledo and watch BG play hockey at night and if you're an Ohio State fan you know we'll even let you come and you can come watch <laughs> Ohio State play and all that kind of fun stuff.
1: And it worked out the football games at noon, BG Hockey at 8 at the Huntington Center. Should be a great weekend. Coach, congrats on the first win. I think we got a go back to that uh, I was remiss in not starting with that uh, good to I don't want to say get the monkey off the back but it had to feel good to get that out of the way right
4: yeah I appreciate you not bringing it up because it <laughs> seemed like every question I got going into the game was about coach Bergeron and myself and and the reality is is and you know both of us it's it's not about us but I understand why you know just because of the relationship and the uniqueness of of the first game of the year you know me at my alma mater him at his alma mater uh it, I appreciate you you know, saying congrats because it, it did mean a lot to me as the head coach of Bowling Green, not me versus Chris. But I, uh, it's, it's great for everybody involved, great for our new staff and the, the, the 1920 version of the Bowling Green State University hockey team. Great for them to, to get off on the right foot. And now we can, you know, put that one behind us and move on to the next game, which is a, a great opportunity on Friday night against RIT.
1: Coach, appreciate your time very much. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, Todd. Thanks to John Gibson and
4: Brent Balbadon and, of
1: course, hockey coach Ty Agner for joining us this week here on the Ziggy Cast. A reminder, Saturday's game with Toledo is set for a noon kickoff, but we will join you at 11 o'clock with the Medical Mutual Free Game Show. Until then, this is Todd Walker saying, hi, Ziggy Zumba. Thanks for listening to the BGSU Ziggy Cast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you
2: listen. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation,